Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Hey, Spooksters. Welcome back to another episode of Three Spooked Girls. This is Jessica, and as always, I'm joined with Tara. Hey, Spooksters. So we're excited about this week because it is all about the twisted side of love because it's Valentine's Day week. Woo-woo! Yeah! It's exciting. So we get to talk about the fucked up side of things and like where Valentine's Day came from, but... You know, before we get too into that, let's talk about what we're drinking tonight. What are you drinking, Tara? Well, since this is the theme of love, sort of, I became really attached to the Robert Mondavi wine I tried a few weeks ago, the Pinot Grigio. So I brought that back. And so you say you're in love with it? I really, (laughs) I really like it a lot. And it's weird because I'd say probably the last year or two, I've been more of a red wine fan. So a little different for me, but I like it. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. Yes. What do you have for us this week? I have a love martini because, you know, I had to use many shaker, which I've only (laughs) used a few times, but I love it. So this is a martini. What you're going to need is Malibu rum, peach schnapps. You can either use citron or plain vodka. You know I use Tito's because that's what I got. Cranberry juice, some strawberries, a lime wedge, and if you want, it's optional to put sugar on the rim. Ooh, sounds super tasty. Mm-hmm, because you know love is sweet. <laughs> and it's really pretty, too. Sometimes. So yeah, sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I think after listening to today's episode, people will be like, love is not sweet. <laughs> right? We're tricking them. It's all right. Right. And Spooksters, excuse my little cold this week. I don't know what's going on with my voice. I've started losing it. Oh, so. no. I got you I sick through the computer. <laughs> right? It's Tara's fault. How dare she? You know, it's probably because I've been traveling a lot for work, so. Yeah. Damn, oh damn airplanes. For sure. Definitely. So before I jump into the business stuff, I have a little bit of an exciting announcement for you guys. What could it be? (laughs) Jessica already knows, but you guys don't. So I actually got the chance to guest host on another podcast. And I was on the podcast called Bruh is a Murder. They are a true crime podcast, but how we tie in is they also do these minis that are fucking hilarious called crappy pastas. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So they pick like the worst ridiculous ones. Typically they're like text conversations. So, you know, makes it even more amazing. Well, I got asked to guest host and read one with them and I went ahead and did that and that episode actually aired this past Saturday. So check the show notes. That'll be in there and Go listen. They're pretty awesome. And if you need something to listen to once you've caught up on all our episodes, they're pretty fucking cool. Nice. Yeah. Exciting. I know, right? Before we dive in, we'll do a little bit of business real quick. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you guys might be aware if you're new here and don't. We are partnered with a true crime subscription box called Killer Trace. Yay! At this time, by the time you hear this, hopefully mine has arrived. I did a little poll on Facebook if you'd like an unboxing, and 99.999% of you said yes. So that's going to be happening. And some people just don't like fun. All right, whatever. You do your thing. (laughs) All good. (laughs) I love you. So if you haven't seen our posts or you haven't seen their website or any of their stuff, they are a, like I said, a true crime subscription box. Each month you get a different cold case and you get all kinds of awesome goodies in there. We have a couple pictures and stuff like that on our social medias that you can check out. Super awesome. And we are here to save you money. We love saving money. 
Now, with our code, you can get your first box for free. And if you decide to do a bundle of, say, I think they have like six months and even a year subscription, you get 25% off. That's awesome. So I'll have that link in the show notes. Um, It is just killertrace.com. And our promo code to save you guys all the monies is going to be 3SG2019. So that's, of course, Three Spooked Girls is what it stands for. And then 2019. So 3SG2019. And that'll get you some discounts. Save that monies. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And, of course, we have our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash three spooked girls and if you're new here and don't really know much about it basically we have all kinds of fun rewards for you guys the most popular one i think is that we put a bonus episode up just for our patrons at the end of each month Mm -hmm. and it's always a top secret topic so if you're not a patron you don't get to hear it exactly so that that is locked on our patreon if you are there If you would like access to that and all kinds of other cool stuff, you can donate as little as a dollar each month. And we honestly super appreciate our patrons and anyone else that wants to join the fun as well. That would be super awesome. Yes, we appreciate it. And we had a lot of fun recording our last one. So we want to share that with you. So go check it out. Hell yeah. So anyway, with that, that's all I have on the little business portion of things. I'll kick it back to you. Yes. So we have also remember we have our merch store limited time right now to get the Winnie the Pooh ish stuff. I don't even know how to categorize that because Winnie the Pooh is technically like trademarked by Disney and all that junk. But (laughs) rabid Disney inspired bear. Right. There we go. So we have that line out. We are coming out with new stuff. You should see the really fun mugs that we put up there, there's one that says this is vodka, and on the other side, it says Three Spook Girls, and then there's one that says this is wine, with the Three Spook Girls burgundy logo on the other side. You should definitely check it out. Coming up with new stuff all the time. Yes, lots of cool stuff, and yeah, just check it out, and we always do certain deals on some stuff, so make sure to watch that, too. Definitely. And as always, check out our socials, everything, but our um, Facebook group is Three Spooked Girls, either at Twitter, Instagram, or our like page on Facebook. And then if you want to join us on our group page, it's Three Spooked Girls Official, and it's super fun. Yeah, yeah. And everything is linked in the show notes. I made a cool little thing with uh, Linktree, so you can just click on that link, and it'll take you to this cool little... I guess, website thing, and it'll have all the buttons with all of our socials, and you can find them all right there. Awesome. We are making life super convenient. Hell yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, so this week, we are going to talk about Valentine's Day. And honestly, when I was a kid, I thought Valentine's Day was all about passing those, like, really cute little Valentine's Day cards. Right. Mm-hmm. The ones like you get it, the, pack, the mm-hmm. packs of. Yeah. Right. And I remember, like, as a kid reading all of them and I would lay them out according to the group they were in because mm-hmm. you know how like multiples came yeah and I would give my crush one that said will you be my valentine oh yeah I never wanted to be my valentine oh sad panda we just went and bought my daughters and she decided to pick Jurassic Park ones that had temporary <gasps> tattoos I want a valentine's day from your child I will send it. There's yeah. extra. Yeah. <laughs> Her kid is one of my favorite little humans. She's definitely like like little rabbit trail story. At my rehearsal dinner, even my father-in-law was like hypnotized by Tara's daughter. She had everyone like, what? Oh, you want this? Sure. And they're like, Matt and Tara, like, stop giving our kid sugar. No, she needs to calm down. She needs to go to bed. And we're like, no. Life of the party. It's fine. Yeah. She upstaged me. No. No, it was great. We loved her. But um I remember picking them out and Mm -hmm. like you know what also sucked is like when you would get to the end and you'd only have like the really gushy ones, like the Be My Valentine. And it would be like a kid in class you didn't like. Yeah. You'd be like, Well, here's this for Peter, I guess. Right. And you're like, crap. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'd always trade my brother like you can have this one right that's a good idea I always yeah. liked making the little um like the little valentine's the mailbox thing yeah, yeah. super I, fun my teachers some of them were lame and they would just get like those manila um envelopes and staple the sides mm, yeah let us put like a heart on it but mm. some of them got really crafty and we'd make like boxes and right a, yeah kid doing that I don't know if they're going to be making one because she hasn't, her teacher hasn't really said, but because Target's my home away from home. Mm-hmm. In the dollar spot, they had all these cool tin Valentine little mini mailbox things. Aww. They look like the ones that like, you know, the blue ones that like stand up. They're like that. Oh, cool. But yeah, they were a bunch of different themed ones and she chose her second love and she picked a Spider-Man one. She's the coolest kid. Now, right? She's more than woke than most people. <laughs> She's six, turning seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll dive we'll dive into our content now. Now that we've <laughs> creepily talked about Tara's daughter for half an hour, <laughs> so we're going to talk about the creepy origins of Valentine's Day, and it goes back to ancient Rome. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's old as fuck, and it was a holiday called Lupercalia. I hope I'm saying that right. And I thought it was going to be this, like, romantic love thing. No, it is. Um, just prepare yourself, spooksters. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so it's an ancient Roman festival that would happen between February, essentially the 13th and the 15th. So that's where we get the modern 214. And it was observed mostly to promote fertility. Okay. So, you know, it's a it's a sexual holiday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And when Christianity came in to then, quote unquote, and I'm using air quotes to say pagan because I don't have a better word for it than that holiday. Like we talked about at Christmas time, Christianity doesn't really come up with its own shit. It Mm. really is like, oh, this is what you're doing. How can we change this to be about us? Which is actually like really good at the whole like brainwashing the natives thing because (laughs) then they feel like, hey, they not only... Do they care about us? But they're like observing our holiday. They're just calling it by a different name. (laughs) But the the Christian holiday does not necessarily do the same thing. They would, quote unquote, reenact its ceremonial like rituals instead of performing them. Mm -hmm. Because this is what would happen. The men in this area that observed Lupercalia, they would go into this sacred cave and they were instructed by a priest and this cave was in the mountains, and they would sacrifice a goat for, fertil- for fertility. Drink. Like I, and this is where it gets really sad. They would sacrifice a dog for purification. Oh, not like, a I, dog. Right, I read that. I was like, what the fuck, ancient Romans? Jesus. Seriously. Fucked up, fuckers. So then what they would do is it gets a little bit more twisted and we're definitely have to put a huge disclaimer on this episode because okay. it's a little like intense. A little Oof. intense. Okay. okay. So then what they do is they cut up the hides of the sacrificed animal and dip it in the blood. <gasps> right. Then they get naked. Okay. And they run through the streets naked with these like straps of like hide that are dipped in blood. And this is like, oh, my God. I literally wrote, oh, my God, the worst part. Because I read it and I was like, fuck you, ancient Romans. Oh, no. Um, Yeah. They would (laughs) run through the streets naked and they would gently, quote, in quotes, slap women with the hides. What the fuck? Right. Like, this is some fucked up shit. This is more intense than the Krampus stuff. The Krampus run stuff. Oh, my God. So I agree with Christianity on this one. Like, you should definitely have changed this holiday. It was not okay. Yes. But here's the thing. The women didn't hate this. They were like, oh, my God, I'm getting hit with these bloody hide straps because they wanted to get chosen. So they welcomed it because it was thought, like, even if you just got hit by it, the flesh or the hides would either purify you or give you fertility, Hmm. which is what they wanted. So. And it would be like the unmarried Roman women and men, and they would do this. And then as the festival drew near to an end, so around the 15th, they would all kind of, you know, hook up. So, so yeah. a giant orgy, essentially? Jesus. That's, that's what I was getting from it. And then 
oftentimes this would lead to marriage because they would find someone and then they'd fall madly in love with them. So it does have that kind of like element of it. Like, oh, I love you now that you've beaten me with these bloody hides and we're fornicating in the streets. Hey, whatever. We're not going to kink shame. It's just a little scary to me, but it's all right. Right. So that's the original. And so then when kind of more modern ancient Rome, if that makes sense. Mm hmm. About 268 AD came around. Claudius or Marcus Aurelius Claudius. He kind of took this time. And this is where like the Valentine's Day comes part of it. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening is nobody. All these. Like this is where war has its issues. Because when people are happy. And I guess in today's world, we don't see it quite the same way. Like signing up for the army is ne- is more about protecting your country mm-hmm. versus in ancient Rome where it was like, sign up and see the world and you might die because we're going to go conquer other people. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what they were doing. But because young men were happy and they were like, oh, these women and falling in love. He outlawed marriage. Of course. Right. And as two married women, it's kind of like, oh, God. Right? <laughs> like, oh, geez. <laughs> so because no one was signing up for the military, they outlawed the marriage and men were not, obviously people were not excited about this. Mm-hmm. And so this is when St. Valentine or Valentine, who was a Roman priest, he mm-hmm. came in. He essentially was like, fuck you, Claudius. I'm going to marry people in secret. Claudius is like, uh, excuse me. I see what you're doing there. It's a little fucked up. I said, no one can get <laughs> married and you're marrying people. You're telling everyone I'm wrong. So he, of course, was imprisoned. And there's a folklore about it where St. Valentine befriends the warden's daughter. Mm -hmm. And he falls in love with her. And he writes her letters from prison. And he was the first person to write from your Valentine. Aww. That's where the tradition comes from, is that he was writing this warden's daughter and professing his love, saying that I'm yours. So I think that's kind of sweet. Yeah. Well, it didn't end so well for him. Not so well for him at all. (laughs) Because Claudius is a dick, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And on February 14th, in line with, how did I pronounce that? Uh, Lupercalia? Yes. Claudius was like, okay, we're going to just fucking kill you. And so it's not even just like, okay, like they shot him with a spear or something. He was beaten and then beheaded. (laughs) Oh. So it's not even just like they cut his head off. They made him suffer. Right. Like, they were dicks about it. And I guess that's why they say, like, love hurt. Love is pain. My bad dad (laughs) joke over here. So, obviously, the reason he died was because he was marrying people in secret. Mm -hmm. And then, when, obviously, that didn't last too much longer. I think it ended, let's see what my note says. Yeah, it ended just a few years after that. They were like, okay, cool. You can start marrying again. <laughs> and then, so the holiday kept going. Lupercalia just kept going and going. And finally, mm-hmm. a Christian, a uh, Catholic Pope, and I'm going to say this wrong, so just drink now. Got it. It's like Julius. Julius? I don't know how to say it. He decided to outlaw Lupercalia. And he changed it by, instead of just throwing the holiday away, he changed it to call it St. Valentine's Day. So it was kind of just a day that recognized what he did for the Roman society. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1300s, it turned into a romantic Valentine's Day. When Richard II got engaged, there were a bunch of poems written about it being Mm -hmm. Valentine's Day. And then in the 1600s, Shakespeare referred to St. Valentine's Day in Hamlet by saying, Tomorrow is St. Valentine's Day, all in the morning bedtime, and I made at your window to be your Valentine. And then in the early 1900s, in 1913 is the year that apparently romance died. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. That's what my note said. So then what happened is because they announced that, then Hallmark, because, you know, Hallmark. Right. They have to capitalize everything. So any person who's ever like Valentine's Day, the way we observe it now is just a Hallmark holiday. Mm -hmm. You're not wrong. They started saying you should exchange cards to show that you love one another. So that kind of brings it up from like where it started Mm -hmm. with the super creepy beat each other in the caves. (laughs) <laughs> in the streets of Rome. Yeah. Creepers. 
to today where we um, exchange cards and little kids like Tara's daughter get all excited. And mm-hmm. I love when shit like this is like totally normal for us, but it came from like a fucked up place. Right. Makes it super interesting. I, I knew about the second part of the story where, you know, he was marrying people in secret and all that good stuff. But the festival thing i had no fucking clue so i didn't either it was like by chance i found this article about it and i was like what Mm -hmm. the fuck and then i did more research and it's a thing and it was cool and i was super excited about it so yeah hell yeah goes into our little theme of creepy spooky shit so i love it i know awesome and then you have some true crime spooky shit for us I do. So, guys, I have two stories for you. So, I'm excited. Hell, hell yeah. Super, super exciting. Okay. So, the first one I am going to talk about is the Valentine's Day Massacre. Yay! Which I know Jessica's super excited about. She suggested I, I look into this more. So, and well, funny enough, Matt did too. So, when I was like watching a documentary on this, he was like, Wow, I'm so glad you're doing this. This is actually super interesting. <laughs> Which is funny because if you've listened before, you know I'm a Bones fan. And like one of the episodes, mm-hmm. it's Valentine's Day. Booth doesn't want to celebrate because he broke up with his girlfriend and Brennan or Bones. Like it's like happy, happy Valentine's Day massacre Booth. And she brings him a Tommy gun. Oh, God. So this will tie in perfect now. All right. right. Okay, well, guys, I'm going to go ahead and dive in to the Valentine's Day Massacre. So this event, I'll just call it that, <laughs> occurred on Valentine's Day at 1030 a.m. in 1929. It was at a Lincoln Park garage in Chicago. Now, this massacre was, I don't know if it still is, but definitely for the time was considered the worst mob incident because of the violence of it. So lots of lots of bloody goreness going on. So, okay, there was seven victims. Five were confirmed members of the Northside Gang of Chicago. And the other two were, I'm going to do air quotes that you can't see, but Jessica can, associates. It's cool. I did a lot of air quotes in the first half of this episode. (laughs) Now, these guys were killed at gunpoint by Thompson submachine guns or Tommy guns, like Mm -hmm. Jessica just brought up. One of them had a 20-round box magazine, and the other had a 50-round drum. Shit. These dudes were here to fuck shit up. Right? I gotta love a good mob killing. Right? So, like I said, there was the seven victims, and there was four attackers. Now, they were actually pretty smart how they went about this. Two of them were dressed in just, like, regular clothes. So, at that time, it's, like, suit, tie, overcoat, hat. That kind of get up because it's the 20s, of course. Mm-hmm. And the other two were dressed like policemen. Mm. Yeah. Witnesses that saw ever, or, you know, I guess not saw, but heard everything going on said that after all the shooting stopped, the two policemen, quote, quote, were mm-hmm. leading the other two men out at gunpoint. So basically set it up like they had a little showdown, but they got them to surrender. Fucking smart people. Mm hmm. So that way, no one was questioning the gunshots or calling the, you know, the fucking real cops. Makes total sense. Right? So let's see. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys a little bit about the victims. So like I said, five of them were, I guess, confirmed or, you know, known members of the Northside Gang, which was run by George Bugs Moran. From here, I'm just going to say Bugs Moran. Makes it easier. Ain't nobody got time for George. Yes, exactly. The first one, and I'm going to slaughter these names. I'm so fucking sorry. I just can't. So grab your drinks, guys. Here we go. All right. The first one is Albert Kachelik, a.k.a. James Clark. We can just call him James Clark. That's, you know. What a a weird alias name. (laughs) Right? It's not like, you know, Scarface, like fucking Al Capone, but it's, you know. Right. Like every other mobster has these like really true great names. And he's like, my name is James Clark. Mm -hmm. That's (laughs) who I am. That's who I am. Here we go. Well, anyway, James Clark was Moran's second in command and also his brother-in-law. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. So the next victim was Adam Hare, and he was the gang's bookkeeper and business manager. I like that he had like a legit job. Right? Yes. No. Organized crime. They got to have that. 
very and cool. the next one was Albert Weinshank, and he managed all. I'm I'm guessing these were like cover businesses because this makes me think of fucking Archer, you know, where they have the fake business. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes. Okay. So Albert was the manager of several cleaning and dyeing operations. Jesus. Not ghosts. (laughs) Drink. (laughs) Operations. I'm sorry. He like has, I'm in charge of these ghosts, these apparitions. (laughs) You're welcome. Anyway. He was supposedly the manager for like, you know, like laundromats and dying services. Yeah. I mean, for, it's, a, it's a big cash business, especially mm-hmm. at that time. Right. I feel like so everything was cash. I don't really understand. Right. I know. Totally different world. And then the other two of the five were Frank and Peter Gusenberg. Gusenberg. I don't know how you want to say that. Goosenberg. Goosenberg. And they were just gang enforcers. So they were like, you know, the brawn. So they were like the bodyguards or the, the people who were supposed to like look out. I'm going to assume so. Yes. They did do a good job. Right. They got killed. You know, it's all good. And the two associates were Reinhard H. Schwimmer, which was he was a former optician turned gambler and gang associate. So he had like a legit job, got into <laughs> gambling, left it. Probably owed the mob a lot of money. And, and decided to work for them to pay it off, probably. So he's an obstetrician, which is like an eye doctor, right? Yeah. Bet they had great eye care. Right? Seriously, he's like, I'll give you these services and then do whatever you want. So that way you don't kill me for owing you like five grand. Talk about benefits. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the last victim was John May. And he was said to be an occasional mechanic for Bugs Moran. So like, he's just a guy changing tires. Pretty much, or anything they needed, like, you know, whatever they needed done kind of thing for cars. Out of those victims, there had actually been one who did not die on the scene. Oh. And when, so basically, when the police arrived, they discovered Frank Gusenberg. That's what we went with. He was still alive. So, of course, they rushed him to the hospital because he had been shot up by a fucking machine gun a bunch of times. Right. To, you know, get him taken care of and try to make him survive. He'd been shot 14 times. He was conscious enough that they could talk to him and stuff like that. So they decided to ask him about what had happened, who had done it, things like that. And his answer to them was, I haven't been shot. Mm -hmm. He's keeping his mouth shut. I haven't been shot. Yep. That was his answer. So, of course, you know. A.K.A. I'm not telling you fuckers anything. Little Frankie, you're making I, a mistake. Right? Well, then sadly he died three hours after arriving to the hospital, so he did not live. So you did get shot. Right? It's like, <laughs> um, but you're bleeding and got all these things in you and you're going to die. Like I didn't get shot. Uh, sir, your stomach is telling a different story. Right? Um, no, I, I think like the whole... Because, you know, like the stereotype is like they're not going to talk about stuff like that to outsiders and especially the cops. At one point, it's like I know snitches get stitches, but it's like, dude, you were already getting stitches. Mm-hmm. You might just want to be a little bit like, especially if it's like the bad people. Like I can understand if it was someone within your own gang. Right. But- they were on the north side. So, of course, like these people were not. <laughs> right. So, you know, but so, of course. I've already mentioned his name. All fingers were pointing at one specific individual. I wonder who he could be. Mr. Al Capone. So I'll do a little rundown real quick in case you're not too familiar with Mr. Capone. So, of course, he was running the South Side. It's crazy because his demeanor when it wasn't, you know, mob related was very businesslike. People said he was very polite, pleasant, things like that, which is scary. But hey, you know. All good. Well, you can't be a fucking asshole all the time because then people are going to be like, you know what? I don't want to deal with him. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And of course, like this was during the prohibition. So alcohol, gambling, prostitution, those were the biggest things he ran businesses mm-hmm. of, essentially, for lack of better terms. Now, it was said that he was the one, of course, doing all of this and they were originally trying to kill bugs. So... What's crazy is we're going to start telling a little bit of a story and it's going to all tie in and kind of make sense. So the boss that was in charge of the North Side before Bugs was Dean O. 
O'Banion. I don't know how to say that. We're going to go with that. Dean. O'Banion. O'Banion. Okay, cool. I was right. I'm always like super like insecure of some of these names. (laughs) Right. I just happen to be like a huge Prohibition fan and I used to watch Boardwalk Empires all the time. So. Hell yes. Okay, cool. If you don't know, he was murdered, of course. So I'm assuming that's how Bugs got his spot in his flower shop in 1924. And that was on North State Street. So there's that first. And Bugs had been kind of like hijacking and like running in and sweeping in and to hit Capone's liquor shipments. So that would piss somebody off during this time. Definitely. And a criminal just like do his shit without anyone fucking with them. Right. And then, you know, of course, it's kind of like they had such a rivalry. If there was a way for someone out of the two of them to take over like the whole city of Chicago, they'd fucking do it, I'm sure. Right. And I mean, it kind of happened. Yes, exactly. And then, so like I said, this incident, the Valentine's Massacre was supposed to take care of Bugs Moran. Of course, it did not. So basically, it wasn't even too far-fetched because apparently they would, they were going to try to lure him in and then also a couple of his like lieutenants, I guess, quote unquote, is what they called them. Right. Into the garage so they could kill them. Now, I don't know if they called them lieutenants. Right. If the, just, I think the police called them lieutenants. Right. They're like second in command, basically, is right. what they're guys that were like, mm-hmm. right, fucking there. So, and of course, to lure them in, they would be like, oh, we're going to do some business with some whiskey or some other alcohol or whatever. And like mm-hmm. I said, you know, prohibition, of course, that's that's not too far fetched for them to do these like sketchy deals like that. Right. And with each other. Mm-hmm, like exactly. they hated each other but if it was lucrative they would sell to one another exactly exactly now they think that capone's lookouts kind of fucked up with this and mistook that or mistaken i don't know which which one's right but one. basically they thought they had saw bugs but really there th- it was probably um Albert Weinshank because they were super similar in their features and their build and everything so they uh. yeah they made the mistake and thought they had him when they didn't and i think i read i didn't put this in my notes cuz it was so like such an offhand little part of one article was that bugs was actually nearby at like a coffee shop but somebody else had noticed something sketchy like he had this weird feeling so him and bugs ended up not going Talk about intuition saving your life. Mm-hmm. If you've looked into this at all, you know that no one was officially charged mm-hmm. for this. It kind of just died out. So some of the, like, I guess, top suspects, there was tons even after these guys. But the ones I took note of, I'm going to go ahead and talk about those guys. There was two of Capone's gunmen. One was, I can't, I'm going to skip their last names because, mm can't. My Italian husband ain't here to tell me how to say this, so I ain't doing it. (laughs) John and another Albert (laughs) were two of the gunmen. Mm -hmm. There was Jack McGurn Mm -hmm. and Frank Rio. And Frank Rio was actually one of his bodyguards. So not too Mm -hmm. far-fetched on that theory, I guess, you know. Makes sense, yeah. Yep. Eventually, there was charges, of course. And Jack, John, Albert, and then another dude who I did not mention named Joseph Hop toad, they were all charged. And what's mm-hmm. interesting was he was murdered by Capone in May of 1929 after he learned they were planning to kill kill him before he went to trial. So some people got fucking murdered, but Jack was still alive. He went to trial. So so Joseph got killed. Joseph got killed. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sense. I'm a little. My wine's treating me nice. This is why I like this wine. But we're all good. We're here. <laughs> okay so essentially Capone got pissed like was he gonna I'm assuming he was gonna rat I would assume that's probably the real thing and then he was like oh I killed him because he was gonna kill me got it self defense I get it mm-hmm. but in reality I'm sure it's because he's probably about to be like no motherfuckers listen snitches get stitches <laughs> or worse shit okay <laughs> oh no no it would be <laughs> snitches get ditches yes <laughs> So Jack's charges were actually dropped because there wasn't much evidence. Right. And at that point, he got charged with violation of the Mann Act. 
I don't know if you're familiar with what that is. I don't. Okay, so that is a felony to engage in interstate or foreign commerce transport of any woman or girl for the purpose of prostitution or debauchery or any other immoral purpose. Basically being a pimp. Got it. So he didn't go down for murder. He went down for being a pimp. Got it. Got it. But (laughs) there's more. (laughs) Yay. He had a girlfriend named Louise Rolf. Rolf? That's R-O-L-F-E. Rolf? Okay. And he decided to marry her because she was the main witness against him. Ah, and you Mm -hmm. don't have to testify against your spouse. Exactly. And then she got the nickname, the Blonde Alibi. That's cool. Like, that's the best gangster name we've heard all day. For real. Stupid names. Honestly. And then, like I said, there was tons of other criminals and mobsters who they tried to pin this on. But... You know, just kind of like whatever. And eventually, for the murder weapons, they were found. Nice. Someone totally unrelated. The two machine guns that they found was in Fred Danes, which is an alias for Fred Burke. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just going to change my last name. Here we go. I'm somebody different. Just in like a apartment, like a bungalow, like little, you know, little place. And they tested it and... They figured out that that they were used in the massacre, which is interesting. One of them had also been used in the murder of a Brooklyn mob boss named Frankie Yale, which, yeah, which the NYPD, they had this long theory that Burke and by extension of Al Capone, good Lord. Okay, we'll drink to that, had been responsible for his death. So it kind of like connected those dots there. Nice. Yeah, but of course, Al Capone was never officially convicted for any of that. I know if you know anything about this, I know you do, Jessica. After that, he had his whole like tax evasion drama and all that. See, this is what it is. If you're going to be a criminal, you got to pay your fucking taxes. Yep. Because if you watch any, like, who's that? Like, Housewives of New Jersey. Right. They went down for fucking tax evasion. It mm-hmm. wasn't like anything that they've ever been accused of before. It's fucking tax evasion. Don't fuck with the IRS. Right, exactly. That was like his downfall was taxes, not murder. (laughs) And he didn't even spend the rest of his life in jail. No. Mm -mm. And the last little funny tidbit I have for this, for the Valentine's Day massacre was, of course, him and Bugs were both questioned about who did it. Mm -hmm. And their answers were really similar. So... I have the quotes. So Moran had said, only Capone kills like that. And Capone had said, the only man who kills like that is Bugs Moran. I wonder if they were in cahoots. Well, see, the see, okay. No, I, I don't think so because he was trying to die. And then there was this other thing too where it was he was like, I see the coffee shop thing. I'm kind of like half and half on. I wanted to mention it because it was interesting. There was mm-hmm. also proof he, Bugs was building a house in Florida. So he's like, I couldn't have even been there. I couldn't have even do that because blah, blah, blah. I was so busy with my house and all of that checked out apparently. So don't know. Here's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. It's 1929. How accurate is shit anyway? True. I mean, you talk about all these aliases that these gangsters have and it's right. not even like, hey, I'm going to go and do. No, they literally would just be like, here, here's a piece of paper with your new name on it hmm yeah well, so i'm gonna write a letter to you with this name and now this is your proof this is who you are mm-hmm. so i don't know yeah I, i'm i'm not surprised i didn't figure it out and fun fact al capone died in his backyard of a heart attack yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> the most like random way at, like a kid's birthday party or something like that right yeah crazy which i mean part of that is so cool because it's like here is this motherfucker who like essentially is the most notorious mobster in American history mm-hmm. and something as bad as cholesterol took the fucker down. Right. Jesus. Like, not a stray <laughs> bullet, not a knife, too many steaks and burgers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, guys, that is the story of the Valentine's day massacre. Yay. So yeah. So we're going to continue the violence on with this uh, love filled holiday. I have. Yay, more violence. <laughs> 
Yes, more murder, more violence. I have <laughs> one other story for you guys, and uh, this is going to be super fucking fun. It's going to sound like I'm talking in the third person because uh, the victim has the same first name as I do. So. Yay, Tara! But I'm still alive, thank right. fucking God. Of course, we um, feel bad for the victim and her family. Yes, no, absolutely. We're not making light of anything. It's just the same name. So there's that. It's a great name. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about the Tara Lynn Grant case. And this happened in Michigan. Jessica, are you familiar with this at all? It happened in like mid-2000s. No, I. Um, you told me about it. You're like, I want to do this. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay out of it. All right, perfect. I want to know. Okay. I want to learn. Cool. So I had heard about this and read it before. So I'm a little, I was familiar with it before I dived into my research. We're going to go ahead and dive in. All right, this is going to begin on Valentine's Day as well. That's kind of our theme here. So it was Valentine's Day of 2007 when Stephen Grant made a call to the Maycomb County Sheriff's Office. And like I said, this was in Michigan. He reported to him that his wife had been missing for five days. Mm -hmm, I see your face. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, Tara's just staring at me go, the fuck five days? I'm going to be honest with you. My husband would freak out if I was missing five hours. Right. No, no, no. Like, if he needed to get a hold of me and it had been five minutes, he would panic. Well, Mr. Steven had an explanation for this. He reported to them that this wasn't the first time his wife had decided to take off. So that's of why he not. didn't, right? So he was like, that's why I waited to let y'all know she was missing. Okay. So Steven's story is he claimed that on February 9th, he overheard her talking on the phone with someone telling them, I'll meet you at the end of the driveway. He said then he watched her get into a dark colored car and drive off. After this, he didn't hear or speak or he didn't hear or see her again. Shenanigans. I agree. Over the next two weeks, there was a fuck ton of media coverage with this, with Steven included. So... On the police force and they had put out a statement, we're going to do press conferences every day until she's found. So cool because, you know, missing person like it's a serious matter. And on his end, he, you know, because he's the husband, he's jumping on the media as well. Thank Mm -hmm. gone girl. Mm -hmm. I mean, except not gone girl, but you know what I'm trying to say. Anyways, that book shook. Yes. Interesting. He decided he that he wanted to accuse the authorities of harassment. The day after she was reported missing, he was stopped by the police and arrested for driving with a suspended driver's license. Motherfucker, get your license under control. Right? He accused the cops of using the traffic arrest as an excuse to get him into custody to question him more about Tara's disappearance. Of course, the cops were like, this is bullshit. Right. I mean, I could understand if like his license wasn't suspended and they were like, you have a suspended license. Mm -hmm. Then that would give him some validation, but... Bullshit, sir. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. So we're going to fast forward to March 2nd, 2007. This is when the search was over. That's abrupt. That wasn't very long. Uh Uh-uh. It was super quick. At this point, the police had a search warrant to go through their home. And during the search, this whole episode's a bit graphic. So just giving you a little heads up real quick. They found a portion of Tara's dismembered body hidden in a plastic bin in their garage. Fucker, you waited five days to report this, and you couldn't get the body out the fucking house? All of the body. So this was just like her torso, essentially. So later, they found the rest of her body scattered Mm. through this park nearby that was called Stony Creek Metro Park. So half thought it through, basically. Did he, though? Yeah, I don't know. But anyways, they found part of her at the house, so they're like... Ding, ding, ding. We got our fucking piece of shit. And while they were still searching the house, of course, guess what happened? Steven decided to flee. Because that's what innocent people do. Right? So he borrowed a pickup truck from one of his friends that honestly had no idea what the fuck he was doing. And he took the fuck off. Everything was super quick with this. So two days later, they were able to trace him with his cell phone because he decided to call his sister. Of course. Right. And at this point, he was at Michigan's Wilderness State Park, which was a few hundred miles away. And he stayed the night there. And then he had only, he had left so abruptly, of course, because he was like trying to fucking escape. He was just in like pants, a shirt and socks. And Mm -hmm. it being Northern Michigan, it's fucking cold. 
to say the least. Sorry, it's just like, it's these stupid people who are like, I'm going to run, but I didn't pre-pack anything in case. Mm-hmm. Steven, you waited five whole days. You had time to get your shit together. I digress, sorry. No, 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 you're fine. He actually had longer because the like search warrant was two weeks later. So if he wanted to be like this whole elaborate plan, he had plenty of fucking time. But, you know, I'm glad he did not because he's a piece of shit. It blows my mind. And it might be because I love true crime and I read about these like husbands mm-hmm. who kill their wives who are extremely smart and they get caught. But this motherfucker was just stupid. Like Exactly. Like, I get the guys who get caught because there's, like, a blood trace that they didn't see and they get it, like, you know, mm-hmm. and they didn't know. But, like, at what point did he go, okay, they're harassing me. I'm going to leave the torso in my house. I don't know, man. I, I don't mean, know. I feel like that was probably very fast. Like, they served that warrant, went into the garage and was like, boom, body. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And to add to it, of course, since he was such a dumbass, he had hypothermia and minor frostbite. Good for him. So after he was taken into custody, he was airlifted to a local hospital for treatment for all of that. Because, you know. The very least he deserved. Right. Exactly. And for reals. While he was in the hospital, he confessed that he had strangled Tara to death and dismembered her body. According to his spoken and written confessions, he killed his wife during an argument and after she had slapped and belittled him. He's going with that. I have so many things to say. One, that as humans, we shouldn't hit each other. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not nice. Right. But I don't get those people who are like, I fucking snapped and I just couldn't stop. And you're like, at some point you're making a conscious choice because Mm -hmm. even though like the movies want you to believe that you die like in 30 seconds of being strangled. I'm pretty sure it takes a couple of minutes. I would assume so too. Cause like your brain. I mean, unless he just like did it so bad. He crushed her windpipe and uh, yeah, I just, I can't. Mm-hmm. At this point he wasn't charged yet. So at this, at this point he, after this was released from Northern Michigan hospital, hos- hospital drink. Mm-hmm. And was transported to Maycomb County by a convoy of sheriff deputies because, of course, people are starting to figure out what a monster he is. So, right. And on March 6, 2007, he was formally charged with one count of homicide, murder in the first degree that is premeditated, and with two counts of disinterment and or, okay, there we go, and mutilation of a dead body. The charge of the one count of homicide in the first degree that is premeditated and that's obviously punishable by life in prison. The other, the mutilation and stuff like that is punishable by up to 10 years in prison or a $5,000 fine or both. So if you come upon a dead body and you dismember it, you could only spend 10 years and five much. Okay. Or pay five grand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's or, Tara. I don't think it's, it's an or. <laughs> I mean, I whatever. Like, you can, like, it's up to 10 years. Yeah. I hope it's not or, because I mean, like. I, not either. I'd be like, here's my money. Do it right? Like, because that's how people get away with their, like, here's my money. Yeah. Scary enough. So then, of course, with all this media coverage, on April 13th of that same year, his confession was released to the public, including the entire conversation he had with the authorities and the written confession he had given to the cops. And I'm a sidebar here because I went Googling and I found a website with some of this conversation. It is clickondetroit.com. I'm just going to go ahead and read up most of this for you real quick. And then we'll kind of get back to my little storytelling on that. In the confession, Grant explains to investigators the alleged events that led up to slaying and dismembering of Tara Grant. From a hospital bed more than 200 miles from the home he fled, Stephen told the police why, how, and where he strangled and mutilated his wife, according to documents released Friday by prosecutors. According to the documents, Grant said him and his wife were arguing in their suburban Detroit house early February, he said, were her frequent work trips. So sidebar, he was basically like a stay-at-home dad and she was a businesswoman, so... There was a power struggle, I'm assuming. It sounds like it. It sounds like he's extremely emasculated. Mm-hmm. She walked away, he said, and grabbed her wrist. Tara Grant then slapped him in the face, causing a scratch to his nose. Stephen told the police he then hit his wife hard in the head and she fell to the floor. 
Tara told her husband that she would call the police and he would go to jail for striking her, according to the account. The end result, he claimed she said, would be that he would lose custody of the couple's two young children. Side note, they're five, they were five and seven when this happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. Stephen told police that he began to choke his wife. He said he covered her face with a gray-colored shirt or a pair of underwear. She grabbed my hand at one point, but it was too late, and then I couldn't stop, he said, according to the police report. I knew I was going to prison. I panicked. Stephen Grant said his children never woke up during the nighttime altercation. The account is part of a 250 page of information released after numerous Freedom of Information Acts requests in motion by Grant's defense attorneys to suppress personal information about him, including what the authorities called his graphic confession. And that's the end of that article. I like that he's just so deranged. Like, he hits her. I mean, granted, she slapped him, but mm-hmm. this is why you don't hit. So on Friday, December 21st, 2007, Stephen was found guilty on the charge of murder in the second degree. On Thursday, February 21st, 2008, he was sentenced to a minimum of 50 years in prison. On March 30th, 2010, he lost his final appeal in the state court, leaving intact the original sentence of 50 to 80 years. How old was he? When it happened, he was 37. Damn, he ain't getting out. No. So I quickly Wikipedia'd it yeah. while you were doing it. Yeah, and yeah. he, I guess, also confesses to having an affair. Yeah. A 19-year-old au pair from Germany. Yep. I focus more on the murder part. I didn't get to that part, but. The we had to bring the love into it somewhere. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> and then this piece of shit's last update is from March of 2015. The U.S. District Court Judge David Lawson denied Grant's petition for writ of habeas corpus, where Grant claims that the police improperly obtained his confession in the hospital where he was being treated for hypothermia and exposure and also denied Grant's claim that the pretrial publicity made it impossible for him to receive a fair trial. Basically, go fuck yourself again, because they obviously did that years prior. So Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's our, I guess, a bloody Valentine there for those right. two stories. Jeez. So there's a little true crime in the mix for you guys. Sorry, I was reading this one part, which I thought was really funny. Okay. It was on Wikipedia, and it says that there's this newscaster, and... The reason it, it drew attention is, like, when she was reading this story out loud, mm -hmm. she saw his mugshot and laughed. Yes. Oh, my God. So, obviously, with the episode post, we do pictures. He mm -hmm. had, like, crazy eyes. Major oh, crazy yeah. eyes. I was looking at his photo. I was like, he is high as fuck in this photo. Yeah. Like, his pupils are so goddamn large. Yes. He is fucking nuts. Totally. He looks like a creepy coach now. Right? Exactly. God. Bad, bad man. Bad, bad man. So, yeah. We took our approach on this Valentine's Day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> They're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> right? Okay. Well, that basically wraps it up for us today in this. I hope you're feeling really romantic right now and you want to go out and, you know, buy your significant other something lovely. And <laughs> Not strangle either them. Either that or, like, you know, hug someone to tell them you love them because the world is truly fucked up sometimes. Mm -hmm. so thank you guys for stopping by and spending it with us and we love you please don't murder each other but we hope you guys have a fantastic valentine's day and i'll just throw a little hint out there keep your eyes out because there may be more of us coming this week for you so yeah dun 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 all right spooksters we'll see you later thanks for listening bye bye